0: Welcome to Unconditional Love, a podcast where we explore coming-out narratives of queer youth. I'm Anthony Russell-Jerry.
1: And I'm Frankie Younger. The Unconditional Love podcast is a part of the Youth Citizenship Narrative Project, a project focused on youth experiences with citizenship through various perspectives. These episodes explore the many sites and spaces that provide respite along the journey towards unconditional love. Specifically, our show asks us to think about coming out to oneself, friends, and family— and the numerous institutions that frame our lives, as well as the conflict between the fluidity of one's personal sense of becoming and the permanence of one's being to others.
0: Unconditional love contains subject material that some may find upsetting. However, we have tried to present these narratives in an uncensored form as to remain true to the experiences and points of view of our collaborators. today's episode about Frankie?
1: Today's episode we're going to hear from Evie, a gender non-conforming person, um, and her experience growing up in a conservative town, coming into their own sense of gender, and a lot of fun stuff.
0: A conservative town somewhere in the southwest, right? We won't tell you where, but uh, somewhere on the west coast.
1: Mm -hmm, That's right.
0: All right, we'll take a listen and uh, we hope you enjoy uh, the story. It all starts with YouTube. I found
2: out about gender fluidity on YouTube. There's this YouTuber called uh, Dressa. Okay. S-E-A-D-R-E-S-A, dressa mm-hmm. And they live in, like, New Zealand, and they're gender fluid. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, sometimes they live as a guy, sometimes they live as a girl. And I've never seen anything like that before outside of, like, a documentary. Mm-hmm. Like, So this is just some person's, like, fashion blog, Oh. Right? And it was so cool just to, like, see, like, a gender-fluid person living their life and talking about clothes and whatever. And I was like, I can do that, too. Because, like, when you hear about transgender, right, Um, I first heard about transgender through documentaries that I found online, and a lot of them talk about, oh, here's this kid, this kid feels like the opposite sex, and now they're going to have to go and get these hormonal treatments, and then they're going to have to have this surgery, Right? And it's always that exact story, like, oh, we're going to get a hormone treatment, and then we're going to have a surgery on our crotch, and then we're going to look like the opposite sex, right? That's the only kind of transgender you ever hear about, and I don't know, I always felt like I wasn't a guy, but I never really felt like I wanted that surgery either, and that never sounded right. And so I assumed I was just a guy for the longest time and didn't really think about it, you know? And another thing I think that's different about my story is that I didn't feel transgender- before I was, like, 15 or something. Like, I know a lot of people, they're like, oh, I ever knew ever since I was, like, a little kid. And it's like, I didn't. Like, I don't think I was thinking about that as a little kid, you know? And then when I was, like, you know, 15, 16, I started watching these documentaries and stuff, and I started learning about, like, oh, not everyone expresses gender in very clear-cut ways on Lexi Dressa. And... And then I started noticing the women's clothing of the store a bit differently. Okay, for starters, I noticed it. <laughs> you know, where it's like I would have never noticed it before. I would always look at the women's section and be like, ooh, I want to wear that. And I just, like, keep that tagged in my mind. It was only a thought I ever had when I went to a clothing store, and I never thought about it at any other time. Um, my coming out story really starts, like, this is where the plot pushes. Um, um, it really starts on, or just before Christmas. Christmas of... 2016, I believe. 2016, yeah, because 2018 is this year. 2017 was last year. <laughs> 2016, no, 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 no. 2015, I was in high school. That was two and a half years ago. That's fucking crazy. So, so it was a couple days before Christmas, and I don't know, a lot of week or something. And my foster parents kept bugging me, like, "What do you want for Christmas?" and me, personally, I don't give a shit about Christmas. I know I'm a miserable person. I don't care about Christmas, right? Um, so I was like, I don't want anything for Christmas. You know, just just get me food or money, whatever. Or just don't get me anything. I really don't care. Like, it doesn't make a difference to me. I'm not a very materialistic person. And um, I, then, I then was, like, thinking about the girls' clothes at the store again. And I was like... I don't have any money but I really want these clothes you know you know this is kind of like my opportunity to do that right and so then I went up to my foster parents and I was like I was like I want girls clothes for Christmas <laughs> and then my foster dad took me to the backyard And he sat down with me on the... We had, like, this deck or... Okay, we had a deck. It was, like, made of Brazilian wood, as he would say. Ooh, my Brazilian wood. Um, It was, like, this deck on a hill. And there was, like, a staircase that was also made of this fancy-schmancy Brazilian wood. It went up to the deck. We sat on the staircase, the bottom of the staircase. And um, he sat me down, and he whipped out a cigarette, and he lit it. And he said something akin to all I want is for you to be happy, you know? And then we went into this conversation about, like, you know, you know. he's all like, do you feel like a girl? And I was like, yeah, which I don't know why I said that because I don't feel like a girl either, but um, I didn't really know what the hell I felt like at the time. And then, you know, he brought up, like, this shopping spree because I was in foster care. I don't know if you guys picked up on that from the whole... Uh, me having a foster dad thing. But um, I was in foster care. And the thing about the foster care system is that there's a lot of programs that, like, donate and do charities and stuff. One of the charity things was, like, a shopping spree. So, like, st- stores like Walmart or Target or Old Navy or whatever would have, like, shopping sprees for, like, the foster kids, which was really cool. They'd have it, like, once or twice a year, usually for back to school and for Christmas. Anyways, we went to a Walmart for a Christmas shopping spree. And when I went... um. He was like, okay, you can get girls' clothes there, right? I went to the girls' section, or I guess the women's section is what it's called, because, you know. And um, I went to the women's section, and I just, I was just, like, nervous. And nowadays I'm not nervous, I'm just like, whatever. But, like, at the time, it was, like, the first time I've ever been in the women's section, I felt like I was breaking some kind of taboo, like I was not allowed to do this. I felt like the whole world was staring at me, even though now I know no one gives a shit no one gives a shrimp <laughs> um, no one gives a shellfish mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um,
1: <laughs> no one cares
2: whether i've been the woman's section or not but at the time i thought the whole world was looking at me i don't know if you got if anyone's heard of like the spotlight effect you know where you feel like people are always watching you but really no one's ever actually watching you no one actually cares um, but I felt that strongly at that moment I felt like the world was watching me and I was in the women's section and I saw this red shirt and I still have the red shirt I still wear it um, it was a red shirt with um it had like white trim with like these hippie symbols on it and I was like this is a cool shirt I want this shirt so I got the shirt and then I went to the fitting room and was like can I try this on and the people were like this is for you? <laughs> I was like yeah they are like oh sure okay and then I went in there and I, I got all this girl clothes. I kept going back and getting jeans and shorts. And I got these, like, black Dickies pants that were, like, bell-bottoms. It was really cool. And I kept going in and trying stuff on. I was, like, having the time of my fucking life. Uh, I was trying stuff on. I was having so much fun. It was, like, it was like this weird exhilaration. It felt like going on a roller coaster. I felt like I was having fun, but I was also scared for my life, like, simultaneously. <laughs> And I felt like the adrenaline rushing through my veins and I felt like each adrenaline molecule was scraping against the sides of my blood vessels. I felt like intense, <laughs> you know? I felt, I felt liberated almost, you know? I was like, I looked in the mirror for the first time of my life. I was like, you're cute. I never felt that before, you know? I was never excited to pick out clothes for starters. <laughs> it was so exciting and I went out. I remember going to the cashier with all my clothes, and they're like, is this for your girlfriend? (laughs) And part of me was like, I don't have a girlfriend, but I didn't tell them that. (laughs) I told them, no, this is for me. And they're like, oh! They started waving their hands with their face, like a fan (laughs) or something. They're like, good for you. You go, girl. I was like... It felt kind of embarrassing, but also I was happy that they were happy for me. (laughs) And... I remember going home with all these girls clothes and I was like trying shit on and I was, I was trying stuff on and I was like, I was there for hours trying stuff on I couldn't stop and that's when I knew that I, at least, at the very least, I wanted to dress differently so I got all my guy clothes and put it in a bag I remember going to school the next day In my newfangled clothes. I had the red shirt. I had like these blue khaki pants. I had these, I think, was I wearing the boots? I was, I think I was wearing some brown suede, swad, whatever they're called. Anyways. I went to school and everyone was talking about me. And everyone was like, it was, people came up to me and they're like, wow, you look so cute, you know. It's like, you look fashionable today. And I think... It took a while, but I eventually came out to all my friends. OK, so I lied when I said my coming out story started with YouTube. I just realized it didn't. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, having these conversations brings up memories. Um, it actually started slightly before that. Um, or did I started watching the YouTube first, and then I talked to my Anyways, the chronology doesn't matter. <laughs> so um, this was actually before um, the whole Christmas thing. I was talking to my friend, Catherine. <laughs> And my friend Catherine, she was a Jehovah's Witness, but by golly, was she the least? She was the least judgmental person ever. She'd always just sit and listen. I loved her to bits and pieces, and I think that's why she liked me, um, too, because she used to have other friends, but she started hanging out with me a lot, and I think it's for the same reason. We always listened to each other, um, and I love that about her. But um, I told her that, you know, I feel like a girl. She's all like, yeah, <laughs> um, I already knew that. <laughs> I don't know how she picked up on that, but... Uh, Maybe it was something about the way I acted. I don't know. Um, But she was very supportive. And, you know, she helped me realize that, hey, this is something I wanted to go through with. And it was not just her, but I had another friend named Catherine. But her name started with a K, not a C. And K Catherine was lesbian. And she was, like, totally on board. She actually bought me some clothes, which was so cool. She bought me the only jewelry I own that I still own because I don't really buy jewelry. Um... It was it was really nice. You know, because I, I remember going on the internet and looking up, you know, trans stories on, like, the Huffington Post, and it was all, like, people getting shot and killed, oh. and it was people getting beat up and people getting harassed by the police, and I thought it was going to be horrible. <laughs> it wasn't, actually. At least for me. I should, I'm not speaking for anyone else, because I know for other people it can be pretty bad, but for me, I got lucky. Um... I'm a very lucky person and I'm very appreciative of the luck that I have, but um, I came out to the school and everyone in school felt like they were all like, we already knew, like we kind of already felt like you would have like a gender swap, and I'm like, how, did, how would you know that? Um, you know, people always like, if there's anyone who would have like a gender swap, it would be um, Patrick, which was my, I'm Evie now, mm-hmm. naivety. But um, people call me Evie. That's my name. I should have said that in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I used to go by Patrick. And um, everyone would be like, Patrick, we thought you were always going to have a gender swap. Like, if there's anyone who's going to change their gender, it'd be you. And I was like, okay, I don't know where that was coming from. But I guess probably because, like, I hung out with girls all the time. I was always very feminine. I never really cared for masculine things. So that could have been it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't flipping know. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it was really positive. Everyone was very supportive. Um, I remember then P.E. I was taking... This was my senior year of high school, so this is just before I came to college. It was my second semester when I came up to the school. And um, I was doing P.E. my second semester. And um, something that we were doing was... um, we'd have to go into the locker rooms before P.E., right? And obviously I was going to the guy's locker room. And um, I asked the school, I was like, hey, you know, can I use the girl's locker room, right? And at first my P.E. teacher was like, my P.E. teacher was like, no, you know, you can't. Like, it's against the rules. Like, you know, she's like, it's not up to me. Hmm. So then I went and I talked to the administration, and the administration was like, holy um holy f asterisk ck um we don't know what to do about this we never had this happen before so the administration they all had a meeting (laughs) and then they sat down with me like okay we're gonna have a class so all the girls in pe are gonna have a big class about transgender what that is and like what we're gonna do in the locker rooms and we're gonna ask them if they're okay with that and then they had that the class and like all the girls were supportive. They were all like, we want you here. We want you in our locker room. You know, we, we love you. And I was like, oh, I was so happy. And then they were like, okay, now we're going to have to deal with the parents. And um, turns out the parents weren't so supportive, but it's okay because they ruled regardless of them. The girls were fine with me in the locker room. And everyone in school was fine. You know, and the administration was like, you know what? you, know, you can use the girls' locker room. That was fucking. That was like a. That was like a policy breaker for the school. Mm. Um, I I was really excited that everyone was so supportive. I was embarrassed in the locker rooms to be honest because I still had like I was just embarrassed to like undress in front of all these girls. But mm-hmm. I've never, like, I'm not really into girls' naked bodies. <laughs> That's a very awkward way to put it, but I'm just not. And so when I was in there, it was like, it wasn't really like it wasn't awkward because of ooh, I'm, uh, I'm around all these uh, girls who are undressing. It wasn't like that. But it was like, it was like, it was just weird because I felt like my whole life I was barred from seeing a girl in a broad underwear, mm. and now all of a sudden it was allowed. It was weird. And then it was also weird because I was in my boxers. I just felt really, me- I felt like a man in a woman's locker room. I felt awkward being there. And all the other girls, you know, they were being supportive and they didn't care. But I was like, I just felt so uncomfortable and i like dress as quickly as possible and leave. Um... <laughs> then there was the therapist. They wanted me to have a therapist.
1: Who wanted you to have a therapist? The school. Oh, okay.
2: Um, they didn't force me, but they really, really wanted me to. They were, like, compelling me to get a therapist. So I, they were like, okay, we, we know this gender therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, he's transgender. His name's Anthony. And um, he doesn't work here, but we're going to bring him over here. So he could help you, right? And so I actually ended up getting a gender therapist who was transgender. He was from Texas and he grew up, he was born female and he actually transitioned in his 30s. And um, it was cool. We, we had a lot in common and I really liked talking to him. And he was all like, You already know all about this gender stuff. And I was like, Yeah. You know, he's like, You don't need help learning the stuff. And I'm like, No. You know, so I had him around to the end of the year. It was just helpful to have someone to talk to on like a weekly basis. Who was also transgender, because I knew no one else who was transgender. There was technically this other trans person in our school, but we were, like, in completely different friend groups, so I never talked to them. But, um, that was my high school experience. I mean, technically, when you're trans, your whole life is your coming out story, but, um, that's, like, the beginning part. Actually, um, speaking of the girls' restaurant, I remember the first time I went, I asked two people who I was acquainted with I wouldn't say we were friends but acquainted with to come to the girls bathroom with me because I was so scared and then after that I just went by myself it was fine mm-hmm. I remember I used to do my makeup in the girls bathroom while the girls would be so excited and they'd do their makeup with me they'd always compliment me they're like oh you're so cute you're so pretty you're so beautiful mm-hmm. um they were always really nice um as time went on I kind of felt less like a girl um and I didn't really feel like a guy either I just didn't care anymore I remember one of my friends, his name was Spencer. Um, we were friends because we were like, apparently like the only two atheists in the school. Not a lot of people are atheists, statistically. Mm. And especially not openly atheist. They're not in a conservative part of town. Um, I'm from Lakeside, California, by the way. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I keep feeling like I, Lakeside, California for anyone who's from there, which is probably no one listening to this. But if you are, you know that uh, it's a pretty conservative place. Um, It's a rural town. I came from a farming town. And so, um, yeah, it was pretty conservative. Um, But yeah, me and Spencer, uh, I remember telling him once, he's like, you know what my gender is? And he's like, what? And he's like, my gender is I'm going to curse now. My gender is I don't give a fuck.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: You know? My gender is I don't give a fuck, you know? And he started laughing. He thought it was the funniest thing in the world. He's like, (laughs) but it was true. I was like, that's the only way I can like put a label on it. It's the only label I can give it. I just don't care. You know, who cares what my gender is? I just want to be myself, you know? And, um, yeah, speaking of being in a conservative town, I used to walk an hour home from school. Sometimes my foster parents would give me a ride, but I would oftentimes, I lived about an hour away from campus, and so I had to walk an hour to get back home. So I'd have to walk across the entire town. And it was fine. I, I love I walking, so I was totally fine. And Lakeside, now that I live in Riverside, when I lived in Lakeside, I thought Lakeside was pretty bad. But now that I live in Riverside, I realized that Lakeside was a very beautiful farming town with a lot of beautiful animals and a lot of open air. And uh, I wish I would have appreciated it more when I lived there. <laughs> Something that would happen when I was walking home is that people... Our town was known for two things. The, the Nazis... And the drugs. <laughs> <laughs> there was a neighbor we had who had their, their, their car got vandalized with a swastika. Somebody graffitied a swastika onto their car. So that was the kind of town that I lived in. Yikes. Um, lots of white supremacists. So people would drive by and they'd be like, again, I'm going to curse now, but this one is relevant. They'd be like, Nigger, get out of town! Or, you know, stuff like that. Oh, they'd always shout stuff at me. They never do anything because they're fucking They're pretty cowardice. Yeah, they're, they're cowards. But um, they'd always shout stuff at me when I'm walking home. They'd drive by. Um, but for the most part, it was fine. Most people in town were pretty nice and pretty chill about it. So, you know, I was expecting a lot more hate, but it turns out the hate doesn't come from that many people. So, you know. It, the teachers had a hard time. A lot of them kept calling me sir accidentally. It took them a while. I had one teacher, my cal- pre-calculus teacher, kept calling me he and all the girls in class would be like, no, it's not he, it's she. You know, and he wouldn't listen. One day he called me she. And then he stopped. I don't know why. <laughs> my foster mom didn't take it so well. Really? Um, she was very uncomfortable around me all the time after that. I remember one time she complimented my blouse. She's like, that's a pretty blouse. But she said it in the most sad, pitiable way a human possibly could. Like, she was trying to be nice to me, but you could tell that every fiber of her Catholic... Be- she was Catholic. Every fiber of her Catholic being was against me.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Before I came out as transgender, um, I remember one time she was watching the TV, and two gay guys were kissing on television. And she was like so mad she's like why do they let these home these these um homosexuals on tv it's disgusting i was so angry i remember my foster dad just got home and i was i was yelling at him um, juanita's a bigot juanita's a bigot juanita was her name juanita's a bigot um uh i was i was shouting that and he was like calm down calm down what happened and then he ended up talking with her and I think she realized that she couldn't say stuff like that around me, but she was still thinking
0: it. I could tell she was still thinking it. Thanks for listening to episode one of the Unconditional Love Podcast.
1: And thanks to Evie for sharing her story.
0: Do you have any thoughts or or, or, or comments on, on the narrative we just heard, Frankie?
1: Yeah, well the other day you were telling me, um, when we were listening to it, you know, you were you kept waiting for something bad to happen, you know, because there were like so many junctures at which it could have turned bad, but it didn't, and that's really refreshing to me, actually.
0: Yeah, well, I kept I kept waiting for the for the the, the hammer to drop, sort of. Right, there seemed to be all of these different variables, all of these different ways, and and sort of which, um, you know, in 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 a, in a narrative sense, right? Things things may have gone bad, right? So I kept waiting for for the moment when we were going to get to the uh, to the sort of. To the sort of drama of it all, right, or the the, the negative sort of aspects of it all. But uh, interestingly, right, it didn't it, it it never seemed to take that turn.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like I said, that was really it was really great.
0: I remember you you saying in in in, in your your ethno poem the uh, the unconditional love poem uh, that we recorded. That's available on culturalmediaarchive.org, uh, by the way. I remember you saying that that you think that sort of. Uh, there needs to be some more sort of non-stereotypical positive narratives um, available uh, for folks. Um, how, how do you think that that applies then to to, to Evie's story?
1: Yeah. Um, so what I was focusing on was the like media tropes aspect of it, but it's also nice to know that there are real people who. Don't have it so awful. Like it doesn't have to be this overwhelmingly negative experience. And tons of people can live openly and be who they are. um, You know, without the fear that sometimes the media puts into us with all of these weird negative, you know, stereotypes.
0: Yeah, I guess that just goes to say that there are sort of multiple ways, right, of 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 being. Um, the interesting thing, I think, is, is also that depending upon what you decide to focus on, right, it's, I, I, I would imagine that, that Evie's gone through as many sort of dramas and traumas as, as sort of the rest of us in, in any any sort of, of way or another, right? But Evie seems to focus on the sort of positive aspects of becoming rather than simply the, the negative uh, moments, right, that might have defined... Uh, their being. So, um, yeah, I think that's important to point out. Well, thanks for joining us for the first episode of unconditional love and, uh, hope we get you back next time. Take care.
1: Well, that's our show. Thanks for joining us. And we hope you'll come back for our next episode. In the meantime, for more narratives, please visit culturalmediaarchive.org and click on Archive tab. Feel free to send us an email with any comments, complaints, or suggestions. You can reach me at frankieyounger at gmail.com.
0: And you can reach me at anthonyj at ucr.edu.
1: Take care. <laughs>